Hi, welcome to First Healthcare Compliance. We've been talking a lot about changes due to HIPAA on the bus final rule. For the past couple of months, we've discussed um, business associates, notice of privacy practices, and today we're going to discuss breach notification. We have with us again Karen Davidson. Karen is a founder of McCary and Davidson, a health law firm. Karen has been practicing health law for 20 years and she's a strong physician advocate. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here today for this third installment of our HIPAA series, focusing on the new regulatory requirements stemming from the Omnibus Final Rule. As you mentioned, today we will focus on breach notification, including the changes made by the Omnibus Final Rule. So Karen, can you explain how practices can determine whether or not a breach has occurred? That's a good question, Julie, and one that is addressed in the Omnibus Rule. Breach is essentially defined as the acquisition, access, use, or disclosure of protected health information, we call it PHI, in a manner compromising the privacy or security of the PHI. So for example, a breach could arise by faxing patient medical records to the wrong fax number. It could also arise if an electronic device, laptop, or cell phone is lost or stolen if the device contains any PHI or allows the user to have access to PHI. So what should happen if there is an improper use or disclosure of PHI? Well, practices should put in place a mechanism or a process for analyzing whether the PHI was compromised. That process should typically involve the privacy officer and other individuals involved with privacy matters and should include a full investigation of what happened, including figuring out the number of patients involved, when the breach occurred, when the breach was discovered, and, and the like. Okay. So did Omnibus change anything in connection with this type of breach analysis? Yes. Uh, first, under Omnibus, an impermissible use or disclosure is now presumed to be a breach unless the practice, covered entity, or a business associate demonstrates that there is a low probability the PHI had been compromised. Before Omnibus, practices could conduct a risk of harm analysis, focusing on whether there was a risk to the individual whose information was improperly used or disclosed. But that type of analysis was deemed to be too subjective. And so a new, more objective risk assessment standard was included in Omnibus that focuses on PHI and the probability the PHI was compromised. So how do practices perform this new risk assessment? Well, there are four aspects to the analysis. The first is the nature and extent of the identifiers involved in the PHI, such as the patient's name, date of birth, social security number, as well as others, and the likelihood that the information could be used to re-identify the individual. The second is an assessment of the unauthorized person who used the PHI or to whom the PHI was disclosed. The third is whether the PHI was actually acquired or viewed. And the fourth is the extent to which the risk to the PHI has been mitigated. Could you give us an example of how a practice might go through a risk assessment? Sure. Um, let's take the situation where a practice improperly faxes, for example, a patient medical record to another medical practice that does not treat the patient. So in this situation, there clearly was an unauthorized disclosure of PHI. But let's say in this situation, the receiving practice called our practice to say the fax was received in error 
and that the document would be destroyed. Our practice might then conclude that there's a low risk that the PHI was compromised by taking into consideration that the practice receiving the facts is also a covered entity with a responsibility for protecting PHI, that the receiving practice recognized its privacy responsibilities by calling us about the facts, and that further disclosure of the PHI was mitigated because the practice was assured the PHI would be destroyed. Okay, what about electronic devices? So in the case of electronic devices, factors such as whether they were encrypted or returned could play into the assessment. But as a cautionary note, practices must make sure they go through the risk assessment in good faith and reach a reasonable conclusion. Um, documentation of having performed the actual assessment is crucial. Okay. So once a practice concludes there's been a breach, what do they need to do? Well, at this point, practices need to comply with applicable notice requirements. And under HIPAA, if a breach is less than 500 individuals, the practice must provide written notice to patients within a reasonable time after discovery of the breach, but not later than 60 days after the date of discovery. That date of discovery is very important and is essentially the date a practice knew or should have known about the breach. And state law requirements for the timing of notice may be more restrictive, so these need to be checked as well. So what needs to be in the patient notice? The notice needs to describe the circumstances, essentially what the practice found out through its investigation about the breach, including the type of PHI involved, the individual or entity to whom it was disclosed, what the practice did or is doing to investigate and mitigate the particular use or disclosure, and any other steps the practice is taking to reduce the risks of similar disclosures, such as retraining employees and, and things of that sort. Um, notices must also identify a practice representative, such as the privacy officer, who patients may contact about the breach. What about if any financial information is involved? If any patient financial information is involved, such as social security numbers or credit card information, practices should also alert patients about the steps they may need to take, such as monitoring their credit and other sorts of actions. Okay. Are there any other notice requirements? Yes. If there are less than 500 individuals, then notice also needs to be provided to the Office of Civil Rights, OCR, within 60 days following the end of the calendar year during which the breach occurred. The notice is typically done through the OCR website. If there are more than 500 individuals, then the notice to OCR must occur at the same time as the notice to patients, and there must be notice to the media. Can you talk a little bit about practice liability for these breaches? Yes, very important. Um, when we talk about liability, we're essentially talking about potential civil monetary penalties, or what we call CMPs, that could be imposed on a practice due to a breach. So CMPs range anywhere from $100 to $50,000 per violation, and up to $1.5 million for identical violations in the same calendar year. The amounts imposed are determined based on factors related to how a practice handles privacy and or the particular type of breach that occurred, such as whether the practice had reasonably assessed risks, performed a gap analysis, or implemented policies. So for example, if a practice did not know or would not have known through their reasonable diligence 
that a particular breach would occur, then CMPs would likely be on the lower end. However, if a practice had willfully neglected its obligations, and that is considered a conscious, intentional failure or reckless indifference to its privacy obligations, then CMPs would likely trend on the higher end. A variety of factors would be examined to determine where a practice falls in terms of whether the practice had been, on the one hand, reasonably diligent, or on the other hand, willfully neglectful in complying with HIPAA. So Karen, is there anything else? Well, to sum up, my recommendation for practices in connection with breach notification is to ensure that they conduct a thorough risk assessment and develop policies and procedures related to patient notification so they're prepared if there is a breach. Okay. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure.